It's your hosts, Kate Leinbaugh and Ryan Knudsen. Earlier this month, we brought you a two-part story on the biotech startup Ubiome. And today, we're bringing those parts together. Now, you can hear the entire saga in one place. Ubiome was a biotech company that seemed to have it all. Idealistic leaders, a promising idea, and lots of venture capital funding. But eventually, the company had a spectacular downfall. For the past few years, our colleague Amy Doxer-Marcus and a team of Wall Street Journal reporters have been covering the rise and fall of Ubiome. And so, for our story today, Amy's going to take over. Here she is. As a reporter, I spend a lot of my time thinking about why healthcare doesn't work for so many people, why cures still seem out of reach for so many, how medicine seems to focus more on treating disease rather than preventing it. So back in 2014, I had taken an interest in this company called Ubiome. At the time, it was a small startup, but its founders, Jessica Richman and Zach Apti, had big ambitions. Their product was an at-home test kit, kind of like 23andMe. But this kit would test the makeup of your microbiome, the trillions of microbes that live in and on all of us. The bigger idea behind the company was all about something called citizen science, getting everyday people involved in data collection, understanding their own bodies, and taking control of their health. But one day a few years ago, this guy reached out to me someone I had never met before, and he had questions about Ubiome's business practices. He thought the company might be committing fraud. I started looking into it, and in April 2019... A San Francisco-based health startup got raided by the feds today. The FBI agents showed up at Ubiome. They broke down the front door and asked employees to hand over their computers. The FBI's investigation- This March, Ubiome's two leaders were charged with defrauding investors and insurers in a multi-million dollar scheme. And the government says they're fugitives. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Amy Doxer-Marcus. It's Wednesday, November 24th. Coming up on the show, what went wrong at Ubiome? This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. The story starts as many Silicon Valley stories do, with a TED Talk. Thank you so much for letting me speak here. This is really amazing. That's Jessica Richman. At the time, she was a newly minted Silicon Valley entrepreneur. Her company was Ubiome. The startup was predicated on people sending in their poop. Basically, you send us your poop. <laughs> yeah, your poop. We want all of your poop. That's because microorganisms in the intestine end up there. So a poop sample was a messy but relatively simple way to get a read of the microbiome. We may have heard about the human microbiome. Uh, The microbiome is an ecosystem of organisms that live on and inside of us. 
They're kind of our microbial overlords. And it was a good time to start a company that focused on the microbiome. Once largely unexplored, the microbiome was getting more attention from scientists. Some of the new research suggested those tiny microbes and cells might have major health implications. Jessica was capitalizing on that moment. So we are using this data about the microbiome to ask and answer questions about health and start to solve complex diseases like autism, which seems to have a connection to the microbiome, chronic fatigue syndrome, irritable bowel, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, autoimmune disorders depend on the microbiome. Jessica gave this speech in 2013. The year before, she had started Ubiome with her co-founder, Zach Apti. There was a third co-founder, but he left the company less than a year after it launched. We should say, we reached out to Jessica and Zach multiple times through their lawyers for interviews and for comment, but we never heard back. But through our reporting, based on documents and interviews, we've been able to put together a picture of who Jessica and Zach were. Zach had a PhD in biophysics and cell biology from the University of California, San Francisco. And Jessica did at least part of a doctorate at the business school at Oxford. Neither had a medical degree. They were charismatic and a bit nerdy. Generally speaking, Jessica was the public face of the company and Zach worked more behind the scenes. And they spoke passionately about Ubiome's larger goals, bringing microbiome research to everyone who wanted it. So they ran a crowdfunding campaign. It was an unusual move for a biotech company, but it ended up working. Jessica was even featured on an NPR segment about crowdfunding and science. Ubiome is all about understanding the human microbiome, the collection of microbes in your body. Going in, Richmond said she and her colleagues had no idea whether their pitch would be successful. There's a lot of uncertainty. You sort of don't know if you're going to raise $10 or a million dollars, and you sort of have to be prepared or keep your mind open for any of those things to happen. Turns out they hit it big, one of the few to raise more than a quarter of a million bucks from their Internet campaign. It seems likely they caught a recent wave of interest in what's living in our guts. And people... After this successful campaign, Ubiome sent out kits to people who had contributed. The kits included a small cotton swab. If you wanted a test of your gut microbiome, you would swab it on some recently used toilet paper, stick it in a tube, and then mail it in. Jessica and Zach needed to hire someone to help turn around the results, someone who could build up a new lab. So I was in San Francisco looking for work. That's Gabe Foster. He had a background in biochemistry. And my brother's now ex-wife heard of a launch event for a startup company who just raised some money. He asked if I wanted to go along, and I did, and it was Ubiome's launch party. And it was in a classroom at UCSF. There was pizza and soda and a few beers. And a few weeks later, I was bombing around the internet looking for work, and an ad on Craigslist sounded a lot like the people I had just talked to. And so I shot him a note saying, I know you guys. Let's talk. Jessica and Zach ended up hiring Gabe. My job at Ubiome was to build the lab. We had promised several thousand samples to be returned to customers in a pretty tight time frame, and somebody had to actually run them. And so what was the work environment like? Uh, so there was a, a common room with a couch in it, and there were several rooms with uh, lab equipment and a couple cheap robots that we bought on eBay to slap together. I mean, it really was just a bunch of young people hanging around. I mean, getting things done, but it was not formal <laughs> at all. So what were your early impressions of Zach and Jessica? Zach 
Zach is an interesting man. When you first meet Zach, he screams Berkeley. He is very informal. He likes to talk about feelings a lot. He hugs. He's sort of large and soft and smiles a lot and tries really hard to engage with people. And that all makes it really easy to start working with Zach. But it becomes apparent pretty quickly that Zach walks into every single room assuming he can do everyone's job in that room better than they can. He really has this sense of cleverness where he thinks he's just absolutely so clever he can get away with anything. Jessica wanted nothing more in this world than to be considered a successful entrepreneur. That's what she wanted. She said as much. And Ubiome was her most promising vehicle to be that. Jessica and Zach were trying to make it big as a Silicon Valley startup. And based on what Gabe saw, they were succeeding. They had just raised a hot mess of money. And so spirits were pretty high. And I thought the core idea of the company at the time was incredibly sound and made a lot of sense. I mean, they build themselves as the 23andMe of poop. The 23andMe of poop. Did they actually use that phrase or is that your phrase? Uh, they used that phrase more than once. And it's, it was dead on. That's exactly what we were trying to be at the time. And what does that mean? Well, when we think 23andMe, right, it's, a, it's an informative, entertaining product. 23andMe is best known for genetic testing that tells people about their ancestry and their potential risk for certain health conditions. The information isn't intended to diagnose diseases or be used to make medical decisions without the guidance of a doctor. Ubiome's test also wasn't intended for medical decisions. It was called Explorer, and it was meant to do just that, help you explore what was living in your gut. They also tested areas of your body like your mouth or skin. The Explorer reports were easy to read. Customers were encouraged to, quote, know your bacteria and told whether or not their bacteria skewed in favor of a type correlated with weight loss. They also received a microbiome diversity score plotted on a bar graph, along with how it compared with other people's scores. The report said that greater microbiome diversity had been connected to good health. In terms of practical advice, it offered suggestions that might improve someone's diversity score such as regular exercise and eating more fiber. The technology itself is like really easy. It's not hard to do. But then you have to tell me what that means, right? And that's the challenge. Now your microbiome is hundreds of thousands and millions of different species in different proportions, and they're all interacting with their host. And it's changing all the time based on what you eat and what you do and when you sleep And even more than that, it's different all throughout your digestive system. And so trying to understand the impact of something that's that hard to measure and that complicated is, uh, it's daunting. It's, It's incomprehensible how complex it is. Jessica had claimed that understanding the microbiome might hold the key to understanding our health and diseases like autism and depression, but the science wasn't close to conclusive. The complexity of the microbiome means we don't really know exactly what someone's results mean. That's why Ubiome's test was more for people's curiosity. In fact, Gabe felt pretty strongly that microbiome testing should not be used to make medical decisions. In my professional opinion, there is no clinical application for a test like that that I can think of. None. 
I don't know what on earth you could tell someone from their proportion of bacteria with what we know about the microbiome that's clinically relevant. I mean, it's fishing, right? It's fine if you're fishing an entertainment product, but clinical diagnostic products are not fishing. So when you had your early conversations among yourselves about the test, did you all discuss this lack of clinical utility? I mean, it was obvious. There's nothing you can say right now about the microbiome that's of like deep clinical utility. It's a fascinating place as a scientist, right? It's a new frontier of research and it's a wild place and the complexities of analysis are really fun. But that does mean that we don't know enough to give people solid clinical answers on this stuff for the most part yet. And by the way, this is a distinction with a difference because clinical tests can often be covered by health insurance, like a test for cholesterol, strep throat, STDs. And that kind of coverage generally requires companies to jump through some regulatory hoops. In fact, in the early days, we used to laugh about how we'd never do that. Stay the heck away from clinical work. It's too regulated. To do clinical work well and to do it legally is an incredibly expensive tedious thing to do. To start up a lab and file all the paperwork and get regulated is just a hassle. And when you have something that just isn't clinically relevant yet, why bother? That was my thinking. That was our thinking early. There's just to actually bill insurance companies for something. It's just such a hassle of regulations that you better have a nice, simple product with an answer that you provide to a doctor. Even though microbiome science is still evolving, there were a lot of people interested in Ubiome's test, especially in Silicon Valley in the early 2010s. This was a time when people were quantifying every part of their bodies. The movement went by a few names, citizen science, quantified self, but the idea was roughly the same. Everyday people should have the tools to make insights about their bodies without involving the medical establishment. And people should be able to own, analyze, and share that data. The people who were the most excited early on, our earliest adopters, were all of the, the quantified health people in the Bay Area. There's a fairly substantial community of people that really tries to boil down everything they do and everything they can into measurements and try to optimize themselves, optimize what they eat and when they exercise and everything, everything. They'll measure their blood pressure. They'll get blood tests as often as they can. Everything you can imagine, they try to measure. And they were so excited because there was yet another thing they could measure about themselves. Ubiome also raised a lot of money off this excitement. They graduated from the humble world of crowdfunding to the world of venture capital. In 2014, Jessica and Zach raised around $5 million from some of Silicon Valley's most prominent investors. They would later go on to raise a total of around $81 million. So Ubiome did have its fans, but it also had its critics. Jonathan Eisen considered himself a little bit of both. I'm a professor at UC Davis, and I'm a microbiologist, and I study the evolution and ecology of microbes. Jonathan Eisen is one of the most influential microbiologists in the country. He has a TED Talk and over 60,000 followers on Twitter, which is a lot for a scientist. He also has a popular microbiology blog, where he gives out the, quote, overselling the microbiome award. I do believe that microbes and the microbiome are really important for the health of various plants and animals, including humans. 
but I also spend a lot of time critiquing people for overselling the benefits of the microbiome, where people say that, you know, microbiomes are going to save the world. And, you know, in reality, we're not there yet. Back in 2013, Jonathan attended a conference called Science Online. During a discussion about ethics and citizen science, Ubiome came up. Some in the audience were uncomfortable that Ubiome didn't initially get something called an IRB to approve their work. An IRB, or Institutional Review Board, is an independent group that ensures people that are the subjects in scientific research are treated ethically. And what Ubiome was doing sounded a lot like research on human subjects. IRBs are an essential part of modern science. Government agencies usually won't even fund studies without them. So they were asking a lot of questions about people, about their health history, about their diet, about other parts of their biology. And then they would get information about, in theory, about what microbes were present. And you can imagine, in many cases, you could say it might be fun. But what if you found in someone's sample that they were overrun with chlamydia? There are things that you can find out when you do those types of diagnostic tests that you generally should be operating under a more careful review process. I think there was a medical ethicist there, and there were a few other people who were like, this doesn't make any sense. How could you possibly be collecting personal information about people, sharing it with them, and not have an IRB? Something seemed off. There was some people at the conference who I talked to after the talk, and I was like, yeah, someone needs to convince them that IRBs are actually really important and they need to take them seriously. Ubiome did eventually get approval of their research protocol from an independent IRB company. But that didn't stop Jessica and Zach from offering a critique. In a blog post on Scientific American, they wrote that IRBs are structured for, quote, the old world of scientific inquiry, not for citizen scientists who are studying themselves. How did you go from that meeting to joining the Scientific Advisory Board? What happened was basically they came to me and said, look, we accept your criticism. We would like help. We would like to do things better. And in particular, in my conversations with them, this was about the overselling of the microbiome. And they said, look, we know you're obsessed with this, um, not having people oversell the microbiome. And we'd really like to do things better. And would you be willing to give us advice and join our scientific advisory board? I think I said, okay, if you're asking for advice, I'm going to step up and be willing to do it. In fact, two of my colleagues said, someone has to do this. We need them to hear this information. And in 2013, Jonathan joined Ubiome's scientific advisory board. He got paid in stock options. The board eventually grew to more than a dozen members and included some notable names, such as Harvard University's George Church. In his role, Jonathan agreed to help vet the company's communications, like press releases and blog posts, to make sure they were scientifically accurate. But he says he wasn't vetting the science itself. And while he may have felt that he was doing it for the good of microbiology, it ended up being good for Ubiome's marketing too. Jessica and Zach put Jonathan's name on many of Ubiome's press releases and marketing materials. Later, Jonathan would appear on one of the most popular podcasts in the world. This is Tim Ferriss, and welcome to The Tim Ferriss Show. Right alongside Jessica. 
on this particular episode. We have Jessica Richman, who is co-founder and CEO of Ubiome. And then you have Jonathan Eisen, who is a full professor at the University of California, Davis. Jessica and Jonathan, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Thank Glad you. to be here. I'm really honored to be here. Back at Ubiome, Gabe was running the lab, but he was feeling uncertain about the company's direction. And in 2014, his job took a turn for the worse. So I, I know when things really got weird. So when I had finished running the initial set of samples, when you got some of our early sequencing data back, the pipeline worked. I could take stool samples and turn them into a sequencing library to go out for sequencing. And I asked Zach, like, okay, what are we going to do for controls? Like, how do we know this is even working? This was still in Ubiome's early phase. What Gabe was looking for were controls, baseline samples that he could compare his results to. Controls are critical for researchers who want to make sure their results aren't out of whack. But Gabe says that at the time, there were not great controls available for the microbiome, so he was having a hard time telling if his results made any sense. And so I was asking about this, and Zach straight up said, you know, the customers aren't going to know what this means anyway, so who cares what we give them? And <laughs> to me, <laughs> that was uh, mind-blowing. And so I pushed about standardization a lot, and he said, fine, you go do it. Go, go figure it out. Well, at the time, I did not have the experience or qualifications to go figure out, and I certainly tried, but I, didn't, I just didn't know what the heck I was doing to go from the lab to digging into the computational work and the data, and he never made that easy to get. So uh, that's when things started to get really frustrating. And that's, I, I disagreed pretty strongly with Zach there. And Zach really did not like being disagreed with. Disagreeing with Zach was not easy and uh, rarely ended well. And it didn't end well for Gabe. He got fired in 2014. And by the way, Ubiome did eventually add controls. This story was one of the things we asked Zach's lawyers about. We didn't get a response. So how'd you leave the company then? They waited until right after I came back from my wedding. And we sat down on a Friday afternoon and they said, it's time to end this contracting agreement. We're out. And asked me to sign a bunch of paperwork. And I said no. And that was the end of it. Were you given any explanation on why the contract was coming to an end? Oh, this just isn't working out. Did you have a theory on what wasn't working out? Yeah, I feel like I disagreed with Zach one too many times. I didn't have the same goals in mind anymore for the company. They were really trying to get big and get big fast. They were really trying to grow. And in my mind, again, the 23andMe model was to slow burn and run as lean as possible for as long as possible. But if your goal was to be a successful entrepreneur and sell out, that's not... That doesn't fit your model, does it? And if you've raised a bunch of VC money and they aggressively want to see some more money back out of this in a short amount of time, that also doesn't fit that model. Investors had already put millions into Ubiome, but Jessica and Zach wanted to grow and raise even more money. So they tried something new. That's coming up. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit 
to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. Ubiome's first test, Explore, cost $89. It was a relatively affordable price that the company hoped would pull in consumers. But Ubiome could charge a lot more for a product that insurers would reimburse. So it created a second test, called SmartGut. Unlike Explorer, SmartGut was meant to be a clinical test, the kind that Ubiome had initially stayed away from. Ubiome's website called it a doctor-ordered gut health test and said the test could provide actionable information, quote, to help you and your doctor manage gut conditions. Some of those conditions included irritable bowel syndrome and Crohn's disease, also obesity and diabetes. The press release announcing SmartGut contained another detail, the test would be covered by U.S. health insurance for the majority of patients. Here's Jessica giving a lecture at Harvard Medical School. We still have our consumer and research product, which is now called Explorer. That was the original product that we launched with. And we now have this clinical test, which is truly a medical product. Here is a real medical test that real doctors prescribe and is processed in a real clinical lab, reimbursed by real insurance companies. This insurance detail was important because SmartGut was expensive. Ubiome billed up to $3,000 per test. And while that would have been a steep price for most consumers, it's less so for health insurers. If Ubiome could sell a lot of these more expensive smart gut tests, its profits could skyrocket. Ubiome would also go on to sell another clinical test. It was called Smart Jane, and it wasn't for the gut microbiome. Instead, it sequenced the vaginal microbiome to test for sexually transmitted diseases like chlamydia or HPV. The type of lab tests Ubiome sold don't require FDA review if they are created and used in the same lab, and that lab is certified under a government program. Ubiome said Smart Gut and Smart Jane both fell into that category. Some scientists were uncomfortable with Ubiome's pivot to clinical tests. One of them was Jonathan Eisen, that microbiologist who was on the company's scientific advisory board. I mean, in the end, from everything I've seen, they could get microbiome results, but that doesn't mean that those microbiome results are medically informative or personally informative. It just, it could have been simply a let's learn about your microbiome space. And that would have been less problematic than when they jumped into actual clinical diagnostics and claiming that there was medical relevance for what they were doing. That, I think, is the the absolute key, is to transition from let's just help people discover patterns in the microbiome, which seems very interesting, that's what they were saying at the beginning, to we're going to actually tell you whether or not you're going to get sick or what to eat or whatever. And they just didn't have evidence. As far as I can tell, they had no evidence that they could do that for people. Did you go to Zach and Jessica personally and tell them you were leaving? And what did you say your reasons were for leaving when you did inform them? Yeah, I mean, so when I first stepped down from the scientific advisory board, I just wanted out and I didn't want to even discuss it. So I just wrote to them and I said, I just have other, you know, I have conflicts. I have other things I want to do. I want to move on. And I didn't even want to deal with the discussion. But after Jonathan resigned in 2016, Ubiome kept his name on their materials, and he was still listed on the company's website. 
When they didn't remove my name from the scientific advisory board, I had a phone conversation with them where I said, you know, look, I was being polite there. I don't want to be listed as an advisor because I don't think you're doing things correctly. And I, I'm not going to make a big public stink about it because, you know, some of this is private information that I, you know, said I wasn't going to disclose. But like, you need to remove my name from these things because I do not endorse what you're doing. In fact, I anti-endorse what you are doing. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just we're slow about fixing those things. But nothing changed for a year. Finally, Jonathan took to Twitter to express his frustration and say he was not on Ubiome's scientific advisory board, despite what the website said. Later that day, Zach responded to the tweet apologizing, saying Ubiome failed to update the website and they'll fix it now. He also added, amazing scientist, contributed a ton to Ubiome. We miss you. Again, we asked Jessica and Zach's lawyers about this story. They didn't respond. Some scientists who worked inside the company were also having reservations about what Ubiome said its tests could do, like Elizabeth Beck. I really think that the technical part of the kit, all kits that we were selling was really good. We really had a product. We had a good product. But uh, yeah, the interpretation of it was the issue. Elizabeth was initially hired to write scientific papers for Ubiome, but eventually she was asked to work on Smart Jane, the test for the vaginal microbiome. I did realize after a while that developing a gut microbiome test to analyze clinical disease is, um, is, is going to be super complicated. And there's not enough data yet to do that. But I felt that the, the vaginal microbiome would be a much better idea for clinical tests because the vaginal microbiome is a little bit more simple than the gut microbiome. It has fewer bacteria, something that is not really analyzed in uh, regular medicine. And a lot of women struggle with problems with the vaginal flora. And so I thought that was going to be a much more valuable contribution to medical research than the gut microbiome at that time. Elizabeth believes Smart Jane had real potential, but generally speaking, she didn't agree with how company leadership talked about the clinical tests. The company was overselling a lot of the, the products. The leadership had a term called precision sequencing. They said, we do precision sequencing and our test is so much better than that of competitors because we do precision sequencing. And whenever I was like the scientist and I'm like, can you explain to me what precision sequencing exactly is? And I got, got a very vague answer. I'm like, well, that's not very scientific. And they asked me to write a blog post about precision sequencing. And I didn't even know what it was, but I just started laughing whenever I heard that term. Internally, we're all like, what is precision sequencing? We don't even know it. And we work in the lab. We're the scientists. And it was sort of a, an inside joke that even we didn't know what it was. Only Jessica and Zach knew what it was. Elizabeth wasn't the only employee who felt that things didn't quite add up at Ubiome. Another was Richard Sprague. Richard is an engineer by training, and he's big in the quantified self community, people who like to obsessively track their health data. Over time, he took more than 600 Ubiome tests. Richard had been writing blog posts about his self-experiments, like the time he did a gut cleanse and tracked changes in his microbiome. The company took notice and created a new position for him, citizen scientist in residence. He thought that meant he could have access to Ubiome's huge database 
and do some more studies. But there was a problem. One of the very first things I wanted to do, of course, was to have access to that database. And so, of course, like I was saying, like, now that I'm an employee, can you please let me have access to this database? But Zach was very reluctant to let me have any access. So despite the fact that I was hired and I was inside the company there, my job title was citizen scientist in residence. I was supposed to be there to get access to all this cool data and maybe come up with interesting reports and find interesting discoveries involve their customers in this whole process. But unfortunately, I didn't, didn't really get to do that. Well, what was the culture then? Well, um, the culture was very secretive. And it was just kind of disappointing to me. Because so, I had thought that a, a place like this would, you know, especially since they talked the talk about citizen science and Jessica you know, was regularly giving you know, presentations and speeches about the wonderful, amazing things that happen when you involve normal people in research. And yet asking for uh, like information about like what kind of new products are we thinking about building or who are some of our bigger potential customers or what kind of questions are we getting from, uh, from customers? Nobody wanted to tell me. And I discovered that, that was a that was a general trend <laughs> within the company that it was there was a lot of this um, you felt like you weren't really allowed to ask questions. Richard also couldn't figure out how the company was making money. He noticed that patients weren't being asked to pay for Smart Gut as long as they provided their insurance information. They weren't quote unquote paying for it. Um, somebody was paying for it. So in order to be able to get the quote unquote free smart gut, you had to give them your insurance information. Now, most of us don't think twice about giving out your insurance information because it seems like anything that's paid for by insurance is, you know, seems like it's free. And the Ubiome documentation wasn't clear, but the one thing that was very clear, at least at the beginning, was that this won't cost you a thing. And did any of this raise any red flags for you at the time? Well, it raised a lot of flags for, for me, just because I had been with the company long enough that I could see that we didn't have the infrastructure to be able to handle this sort of thing. And so my first, you know, my first thought on all these things is, how are we going to be able to ensure that these people who are giving their insurance information, you know, it's accurate, it's going to be you know, something that will be reimbursable by an insurance company, et cetera? And again, then the, now it comes down to the secrecy thing. I would ask people who might know and I wouldn't get satisfying answers. And I would be told that, you know, that's not your problem. Shut up, you know, go worry about your own stuff. Don't ask us these questions. So Richard continued doing his own work at Ubiome, writing blog posts, talking to customers. But outside his own domain, he couldn't really tell what was going on at the company. It's always tough to tell the difference between incompetence and, um, and deception. And especially at a startup, and especially at a fast-growing startup, you know, it's really hard to tell the difference. I mean, frankly, an awful lot of companies are walking that fine line between very healthy optimism about what's going on and how likely it is to get things done, and, you know, maybe some deception to try to convince investors and customers that things are going better than they are. Ubiome really walked that line and for a lot of us, it was just hard to tell, you know, whether we had crossed that line or not. Coming up, one of Ubiome's customers makes his own discovery.
episode is brought to you by Natrol. Natrol is America's number one drug-free sleep aid brand, helping you fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer. Natrol melatonin gummies are made with clean ingredients, like 99% pure melatonin, to work with your sleep cycle, helping you sleep better, making the next day your best day. Natrol. Sleep tonight, live tomorrow. Shop now at natrol.com. This product helps with occasional sleeplessness. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent diseases. In 2017, Ubiome was a company to watch. It had launched two new products, Smart Gut and Smart Jane, and it was getting great publicity. Jessica Richmond, Ubiome's CEO, was a keynote speaker at a Harvard Medical School conference. I'm really, really grateful for Jessica for having come here. She really and Jessica was being interviewed on big conference stages by Silicon Valley investors. I'm so excited to be sitting here with Jessica, who's one of our top female founders in the 8BC portfolio. It's so fun as a female investor to be sitting here with a woman who's solving such a big problem. And so I thought we'd kick By 2018, Ubiome was raising its third round of venture capital funding. It's Series C. That round would eventually amount to $59 million. And from the beginning, Ubiome's clinical test, SmartGut, had some enthusiastic customers. My name is Damian Moskovitz. Damian is a former psychotherapist, and he struggled for years with irritable bowel syndrome. When you hear the phrase irritable bowel syndrome, if you don't suffer from it personally, you may think, what's the big deal? A little bit of irritability, a little bit of indigestion. But the reality is, is in its severe form, it can be extremely debilitating. It affects your energy. It affects your ability to concentrate, to function. So I was very desperate for help. The way Damien got help was unconventional. He decided to get an experimental treatment where bacteria from a healthy person's stool is transferred into the gut of a sick person. It's sometimes called a poop transplant, although that's an oversimplification. Damien wanted to know whether this treatment was working, and he thought the Ubiome test could show him. The entire point of the fecal microbiota transplant is to change the composition of bacteria in one's gut. And I don't necessarily trust my own subjective impressions about whether that treatment is effective. There's you know, placebo effect. And that's why I wanted to document my progress objectively. And here Ubiome came along offering a way to do that. For Damien, Smart Gut gave him answers about the way his gut microbiome was changing over time. And the test was also easy to get. I didn't have to go see a doctor. I didn't have to deal with my insurance company. Just uh, click a couple buttons on the internet and voila, I receive this little box in the mail and just mail it back. As Damien ordered more Smart Gut tests and tracked his results, he started to feel less enthusiastic. Personally, I didn't find them useful at all. There were just a bunch of graphs and charts showing you're high on this, you're low on that. And it didn't offer me a clear sense of what the cause was of my problems, nor what the appropriate treatment was. Did you take your results to a doctor and ask the doctor to interpret them for you? I did show the results to a couple of doctors, and neither of them had anything to say about it. They didn't find it useful. They didn't use it to inform their treatment. 
As we said in episode one, we reached out to Jessica and Zach multiple times through their lawyers for interviews and for comment, but we never heard back. But beyond the utility of the tests, Damien became suspicious of Ubiome's business practices too. There were just many, many little red flags. The first is how I came to get approved for the test in the first place. I log onto their website and they offered me a nine item checklist abdominal tenderness, constipation, diarrhea, irritable bowel syndrome, bloating, Crohn's disease, flatulence, ulcerative colitis, and other. At some point, they added nausea and a couple other things to the list. And that was it. Then they said they would connect the patient with their network of independent healthcare professionals. And that independent healthcare professional would decide whether the patient qualifies for the test. So I completed the checklist. And based solely on that checklist, a doctor approved the test for me. And the company billed my insurance company. And I thought to myself, how can this doctor know whether I truly meet criteria for medical necessity without knowing any context, without having spoken to me, without examining me physically? It turns out this frictionless ordering process was by design. According to former employees we spoke to, Ubiome was trying to make it easy to order its clinical tests because insurance reimbursements were how the company was aiming to make more money. I started as a clinical partnership specialist, and I was tasked with really cultivating relationships and educating healthcare providers about smart gut. That's Hillary McConaughey. Hillary's job was similar to that of a salesperson. She was trying to educate doctors about the microbiome and then get doctors to order smart gut for their patients. The company's goal was to sell as many clinical tests as possible. Hillary says she would hear Jessica and Zach talk about that a lot. So we would have company-wide meetings every week, and we often heard debriefings after the board meetings with investors and others, and the importance of the billable samples metric that they were asking about in those board meetings often became the basically one and only key performance indicator for our work and for the growth of SmartGut and, and really wanting to make sure that number was growing month over month. It felt like the directive, or at least the push for that month over month growth of monthly billable samples was priority at the expense of everything else. Hillary says that Ubiome was making progress on selling the smart gut test. They were contacting doctors over the phone, reaching them at medical conferences, but she says those tactics weren't ramping up sales fast enough. That wasn't providing enough of an uptick in orders from those physicians. And that was actually a huge reason why the clinical outreach transitioned from individual outreach via phone calls and conferences and just trying to connect with individual healthcare providers across the country. And so Ubiome wanted to take some of that ordering in-house. The company set up what they called an external clinical care network. In other words, a group of healthcare providers, including doctors and nurse practitioners, under contract to do telemedicine for Ubiome. For example, a patient could order a smart gut test directly from Ubiome's website. 
and behind the scenes, Ubiome would connect that order with a doctor from its network. With a doctor's approval, it became easier for Ubiome to bill the test to insurance. Hillary helped get that new network of healthcare providers up and running. If they were interested in becoming involved, we would pay them by the hour to review tests and approve orders, which would then be sent directly to Ubiome's back-end systems. With this new network, the ordering process became quicker than ever. And so Ubiome, they were able to then create essentially this telemedicine platform, which actually required no direct contact or interaction between a patient and the telemedicine provider. And then they would approve or deny the test based on essentially the survey or form results that they read. So there was um, oftentimes no verbal or video conferencing taking place prior to the ordering from the physicians. So this was much more like um, a factory rather than having a personal relationship with a patient and a doctor. Exactly. There was often no personal relationship whatsoever. And oftentimes the patient forms that were maybe first denied by a healthcare provider were then just rerouted to another provider within uh, Ubiome's clinical care network that would approve the test. So did you have an inkling that, that some of these practices might be questionable? Yes. Across the team, across Ubiome middle management, this felt very uncomfortable across the board. We all felt like things were getting out of hand and and really spiraling in terms of the corner cutting, in terms of the finding of loopholes to really make it all work at all costs. Hillary didn't like what Ubiome was doing with billing, but she didn't think her pushback would make a difference. She ended up taking a different role at the company. Really, at times, it was really, really scary how we were either sort of misleading patients directly or misleading the providers to, again, get to that monthly billable sample rate that was just growing month over month. Unfortunately, whenever that was raised to senior management or specifically to Zach and Jessica, it was always ignored or pushed aside. And so without their explicit approval, we were sort of stuck. There was essentially no power beyond Zach and Jessica. Damien, on the outside, was also noticing Ubiome's push to get patients to order more tests. They were very aggressive with their marketing. Click here and we'll resequence your test. Click here and we'll upgrade it. Click here and we'll give you a $20 Amazon gift card if you, you know, request it or submit it quickly enough. They would allow me to request repeated tests without any clinical justification, without any explanation for why I wanted six kits instead of one, without any explanation for why I wanted the kits resequenced or reprocessed. These were literally just a click of a button without any explanation to get tons and tons of extra kits or extra analyses for which they would bill the insurance company $3,000 every single time. Ubiome was also sending emails about what it called upgrades, which meant an updated version of their test. You'd get new results, but without sending another sample. I requested one test, I send the test back, then a few months later they say, oh, we've upgraded our technology. Click this button, we'll resequence your biome or we'll upgrade your test results. And then you click the button, they bill the insurance again for another $3,000. 
I just, the more time I spent with you by them, the less I trusted what they were doing, both on a scientific and an ethical level. Damien decided to take a closer look at some insurance records. He initially had trouble accessing his own, so he started off by reviewing a friend's. Specifically, he was interested in something called CPT codes, which stands for Current Procedural Terminology Codes. Now, this is a bit wonky, but stick with us. CPT codes are essential in the U.S. insurance system. They're five-digit numbers that are assigned to healthcare services. Insurance companies use them to help figure out what a lab or doctor did for a patient and whether to pay for it. Most healthcare procedures and lab tests have one CPT code, or possibly a set of codes, that should be consistent across all documentation. But that's not what Damien found when he looked at the insurance records for Ubiome's smart gut tests. I went through CPT codes to see how they were billing the insurance companies. I realized they were using different CPT codes with each of their successive tests. So for example, they would take a sample on one date. They would ask the patient if the patient wanted to have it resequenced or or reanalyzed. And the patient, if they would click yes, they would then use different billing codes to bill the insurance company than the first time. So the insurance company wouldn't realize that they're using the same sample to do the same tests. Damien also included other materials in his research. I spent literally scores, if not hundreds of hours, going through reams of paperwork, insurance documents, everything I could find on Ubiome's website, related scientific information, making spreadsheets. What made you so curious? It's like a lot of labor that you put into this. So in short, I have a strong sense of justice and I dislike waste and I dislike high health insurance costs. And I was angry when I started to realize that this house was made of cards. They're offering a test that they argue is medically sound and therefore reimbursable by insurance companies and gives people like myself hope of successful treatment for a debilitating condition. To find out that none of that is true was very upsetting to me. It gave me a lot of false hope, and it was a big waste of my time. While Damien was researching Ubiome, he decided to reach out to journalists, including me. So in May of 2018, I heard an interview of your colleague, John Carrero. Am I pronouncing that right? And he was discussing his expose on Theranos. And I just started noticing parallels. And I thought he might be interested in the story. So I did a bit of Googling, and I discovered that you had written an article. So at that point in May of 2018, I sent an email to you and John simultaneously articulating my concerns. By the way, that's the tip I mentioned in episode one. This is when my reporting partner, Anna Wildy matthews and I started looking more closely at the company. Damien also took his complaints about Ubiome to California state agencies. Let me read the last paragraph of my, I wrote an eight-page single-space complaint to the California Medical Board. Damien started off by saying he wasn't seeking anything in return. He continued, However, it seems to me that Ubiome and those doctors are committing a massive fraud that is costing insurance companies many thousands or possibly millions of dollars. Those fraudulent charges are presumably being passed along to consumers and taxpayers in the form of increased premiums and taxes. Therefore, I hope that those responsible for this fraud will be criminally prosecuted, 
that the complicit doctors will be disciplined and that every penny you buy them fraudulently received from insurance companies will be refunded. When you reached out, did someone respond to you and call you? I spoke to a detective, excuse me, I don't know if they're formal detectives, they're definitely investigators from the California Department of Insurance as well as the California Medical Board. And we had uh, quite a bit of correspondence, both over the phone and over email. And the investigator from the California Department of Insurance said that he was working with other federal agencies. The California Medical Board declined to comment, and a spokesman for the California Department of Insurance says it takes complaints from the public seriously. This year, Damien sought whistleblower status from the Securities and Exchange Commission, and if funds are recovered and other conditions are met, he could qualify for an award. But because Damien filed late, lawyers I spoke with said he likely wouldn't receive a payout. Damien wasn't the only one raising flags about Ubiome's billing practices. Insurance companies were also asking questions. And then, in April of 2019... A San Francisco-based health startup got raided by the feds today. The FBI agents showed up at Ubiome. They broke down the front door and asked employees to hand over their computers. The FBI is investigating how it bills health insurers for its special gut health tests. All right, turning... That's coming up after the break. This episode is brought to you by Workday. Get the whole band together with Workday and pair finance and HR on one platform for an epic performance. With Workday AI at the core, you'll make confident decisions faster than ever. And you'll drive flawless business and finance operations with an agile platform that constantly evolves to future-proof your organization. Be a finance and HR rock star with Workday. Visit Workday.com to learn more. You never want to be in a company that gets raided by the FBI, but when you do, you're like, this is fascinating. That's Alex Smith. She worked as an automation engineer at Ubiome at the time of the raid. For her, that Friday morning in April started off like any other. So I'm standing in my apartment, like about to close my laptop and get into work. And my colleague calls me and literally whispering over the phone, don't come in. I'm like, what do you mean? Don't come in. She's like, the FBI is here. I'm like, are you serious? The FBI is at our, what are they doing? She's like, I don't know. They just barged in and they're taking things and they're talking to people and just don't come in. I'm like, okay. Um, And so I had my now husband, then boyfriend go and like go to the office and see what was up. And like, there was a guy guarding the door and it was just like, (laughs) oh my God, it's actually the FBI. The FBI barged into the office in the early morning. They filled boxes with material and loaded them into a van outside the building. The agency declined to comment for this story. In a morbid way, I was fascinated and very excited. I was like, oh my God, the FBI came to the office. And it's just an amusing story to relay. I think I told my mom. I think I told anybody that I talked to that day. I'm like, my company got raided by the FBI. And they're like, what are you going to do? I'm like... I don't know, I'm gonna keep working until I find another job, basically. I mean, what what else is there to do? The raid led to big changes at Ubiome. Ubiome's board put Jessica and Zach on leave. 
and the general counsel became the company's interim CEO. Soon after the raid, he convened an all-staff meeting to talk about the status of the company. A spokeswoman for the former general counsel's current employer said he was not available to respond. The general things were like, Zach and Jessica have been suspended. The board has put him, the general counsel, in charge of things. We are still operating. For a time being, things are being audited. We will resume lab operations, which we did. The science is solid. They're not after us about the science. There's something going on with the billing. And he was like, I want to reiterate, it's not the science, it's the billing. And like, there's a twinkle in your brain. You're like, maybe, maybe things will be fine. But for Alex and a lot of other employees, things weren't fine. The company did continue to operate, but leadership changed again. A few months after the general counsel took over as interim CEO, he left the company. And some consultants took over. They also declined to comment for this story. Around that time, Alex and her colleagues got a strange email. It was the receipt of payment, but it came earlier than it should have and had less than two weeks' worth of pay. People were like, what is this? Why, why have I gotten this? It's off pay schedule. And essentially, people started figuring out, oh, if you got this email, you're probably going to get fired. The same people who got that email also got invited to an early meeting at the office. Everybody knew what was happening. We called it a firing party because essentially, like, one girl, she was playing the, like, na, 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 na. And basically, like, after we all got fired, we're like, let's go get drinks. I realize it's 10 in the morning, but still, we all just got fired. (laughs) Alex landed on her feet. A few months later, she got a new job at another microbiome startup. Basically, for me, all of the things that I learned from my previous experience with Ubiome, I basically took to see, like, what type of leadership is there? What are you looking for? What are your expectations out of a company? Like, basically looking to suss out Whoever is running this company, are they the same as Jack and Jessica? And if I see that again, I don't want to be any part of it. I learned how to see those type of people and avoid them as much as possible. And I think for me, that was super useful because now then I don't have to deal with that. For a while after the layoffs, Ubiome continued to operate, but at a smaller scale. Shortly after the raid, the company stopped processing the clinical tests, and it pivoted back to the original product, Explorer the test that never gave clinical takeaways in the first place. Finally, in September 2019, Ubiome filed for bankruptcy. The next month, it shut down its operations. But that didn't stop the criminal investigation. In March of 2021, the San Francisco U.S. Attorney's Office released a 33-page indictment, United States of America versus Zachary Apte and Jessica Richman. A federal grand jury charged Jessica and Zach with multiple crimes, including healthcare fraud and securities fraud. Overall, prosecutors alleged that from 2015 to 2019, Ubiome billed insurers approximately $300 million, and insurers paid Ubiome over $35 million for those claims. The same month, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission also filed a complaint against Jessica and Zach. The SEC alleged that they, quote, painted a false picture of Ubiome as a rapidly growing company and that Ubiome's revenue growth was, quote, a sham. To discuss the government's charges, I wanted to bring on my reporting partner on this story, Anna Wildy Matthews. You've only heard my voice up until this point, but Anna and I worked on this podcast together. First, I asked Anna to break down what we know from the indictment. 
The government's alleging a lot of stuff about Ubiome. But a couple of the central things are, one, that there was an upgrade scheme where Ubiome was retesting the same sample, sort of soliciting patients to get upgrade tests, essentially retesting samples they'd already sent rather than new samples and not really telling insurers about that. And I should say that's an allegation. And that's a problem for insurers if they were doing it, because insurers want lab tests that tell you something about your health. That's the point of the lab test, to say this person has this condition and needs this treatment right now. So retesting a sample that you gave six months ago or a year ago isn't really that useful clinically and probably from an insurer's perspective, because it's like, well, okay, we can tell what was going on with you a year ago or six months ago, but that's not really something that would motivate a doctor to do something right now, such as give you a treatment. It's just not that relevant clinically. This alleged upgrade scheme was more or less what we heard earlier from Damien. But Anna said the indictment went further. Ubiome was also allegedly misleading the doctors who were approving the patient orders of the tests. So the indictment claims that doctors did not always understand or were not always fully informed that they were ordering a test based on a sample that might have been taken a while ago. So that's those upgrades that we mentioned earlier. The indictment also went deeper into Jessica and Zach's alleged deception of insurance companies. They were allegedly not telling the insurers that these upgrades were just retests of the same old samples. And then they were also allegedly just falsifying doctor notes. So when insurers pay for a test, they want to know that it was in fact ordered by a doctor based on some sense or some reason that the patient needed the test. But if they couldn't provide that, Ubiome was allegedly in some cases writing doctor notes that falsified an encounter between a patient and a doctor or a communication between a patient and a doctor that would have justified a test, but in fact, again, allegedly didn't even happen. So some of those doctor notes were allegedly just fake. That's what the indictment charges, that they were essentially making up doctor notes that doctors had not signed off on using the names of the actual doctors. What does the government say about Jessica and Zach's motives to allegedly mislead doctors and insurers? Well, in the indictment, the federal prosecutors, and then also in a parallel case that's been filed by the SEC against Zach and Jessica, they allege that a central motivation for them was that they were trying to paint a good picture for investors. So they were fundraising for Ubiome, trying to get millions of dollars out of venture capital firms. And to do that, they needed to be able to show that they had a growing, viable business. And the business that they were trying to show was one that would have lab tests paid for by insurers. So they wanted to show that that was happening and that it was growing so that they had a growing number of billable samples. Again, this is all alleged by the government's cases. Do you think this story is an example of a mismatch between biotech innovation and the insurance industry? I think that in the case of what Ubiome was doing, we've talked to a number of scientists who kind of agreed with the insurers that this really isn't a proven clinical value. So there doesn't seem to be a huge disagreement between the actual experts in the field who do not work for insurance companies and insurance companies over whether this was a clinically important treatment that needed to be paid for. You know, 
I cover health insurance, which is a pretty traditional sector and is pretty highly regulated and pretty strict and pretty routinized, for lack of a better term. So they have ways they do this, and you kind of have to check the boxes to get paid. And I think that it is challenging. So when you are a startup company run by people who have not dealt with the healthcare system before, just even being new can be a challenge because there are just so many rules you have to follow and so many standards you have to meet. And in this case, allegedly, the company you know wasn't really checking those boxes or meeting those standards. And to make it look like they were, they did things that, again, allegedly sort of crossed the line. Throughout the reporting of the story, we've wanted to hear from Jessica and Zach themselves. We reached out to their lawyers multiple times, but didn't receive a response. We do know that in August of this year, their lawyers asked a judge to dismiss the SEC complaint against them saying the complaint didn't contain enough detail or specifics to show that they had broken the law. Earlier this month, a judge denied that request. But there's still a lot we don't know about Jessica and Zach's perspectives on the case. That's because, according to the indictment, they're fugitives. And government lawyers have said there are warrants out for their arrest. The FBI declined to comment on the case, but we do have some ideas about where Jessica and Zach may be specifically from a court document filed last month. Lawyers for the government wrote that Jessica and Zach married in 2019. They got the marriage certified in late June 2020 and a few days later left for Germany, where Zach is also a citizen, according to the document. In April of this year, the document says, federal prosecutors received a letter from Jessica's lawyer. The lawyer said that Jessica suffered from a medical condition, which meant she couldn't travel, and that Zach was Jessica's caretaker, which meant he couldn't travel either. According to a court filing from earlier this month, Jessica and Zach's lawyers say that the couple are not fugitives and that they aren't living in Germany to avoid prosecution, as the government claims. The lawyers say that after Jessica arrived in Europe, her medical condition deteriorated and she can't travel. The lawyers say a timeline for her return to the United States depends on her recovery. Zach's German citizenship makes it unlikely he could be extradited. According to legal experts, Germany generally doesn't extradite its citizens to the U.S. Another lead was from a website called North Data, which is a search engine for European companies. Jessica and Zach's names appear on the website, associated with an address in central Berlin. So I asked my colleague Ian Lovett, who's living in Berlin, to go by the building and see if he could find them. He said yes and hopped on the subway. Anne brought along some pictures of Jessica and Zach. So the building where we think Zach and Jessica may live is right at the Oranienburg Tour subway stop, which is a stop in a very busy part of central Berlin. I'm here on a a very busy intersection, not exactly a out of the way hard to find place, if that's what anybody was looking for. Now, I'm walking up to the address now and going to look at the list of names to see if anybody with their name is listed on here. Not looking like it from a quick glance. Ian didn't see their names on any mailboxes. 
and he asked a few neighbors if they recognized Jessica and Zach from their photos. I'm looking for someone who we think might be living here. And I'm wondering, but if, it would have only been the last few months, so if you haven't... Are you looking for a place to live? No, I'm looking for a person. I'm trying to find a person, yes. Someone who used to, who we think might be living here. The people we're looking for are Zach Apti and Jessica Richmond. You don't recognize either of them? Okay. Do you recognize, do you recognize either of them? Not really. No. Ian couldn't find any evidence of Jessica and Zach at that address. We also found another address in Berlin associated with Jessica and Zach's names from that same website, North Data. A man in that building said that his company acts as a postal address for various businesses. He confirmed Zach Apti was a client, but said Zach doesn't live there. And that's kind of where our story ends. As far as we know, Jessica and Zach are still not in the U.S., and there are warrants out for their arrest. But many of the former employees we talked to are still grappling with the experience they had at Ubiome, like Richard Sprague. He was the guy who had taken more than 600 Ubiome tests. He read the indictment and isn't sure what to believe. I, I don't think anybody, even at the very end, really believed there was fraud going on. I think that mostly it was just disorganized. I think it's just one of those things where the company is moving very quickly. A lot of things are happening at once. There's a lot of pressure to deliver. And if you don't have the processes in place to make sure that everything is handled you know, legally and properly, a lot of things can slip through a lot of cracks. Hillary McConaughey, the woman who worked on getting doctors to order smart gut tests, also read the government's case against Jessica and Zach. I mean, all of it was right on the nose. Everything about the billing, all of that rings true, is exactly right with sort of what I experienced either directly or indirectly during my time at Ubiome. And what do you think about the indictment calling them fugitives? <laughs> um, it's, not, again, not surprising. Um, it's a story that almost seems too unbelievable to be true, but here we are, and if I didn't live it, I think I, <laughs> I would be more skeptical, but it certainly has been... A wild ride. And remember Gabe Foster, one of the early employees? He was fired before Ubiome started selling its clinical test and dealing with insurance. After he left the company, he ended up going for a PhD, but he continued to keep an eye on his former employers. When I was long into my graduate program, reading about all the things that happened, I was not surprised. None of it seemed out of character. It's very interesting. I mean, I guess maybe you can give us some final thoughts on just how it started and how it ended. I, that's a good question. I still believe that the company as founded was a fine idea. I do. I think it was the right product at the right time. I think it could have been a really excellent little thing. I think if they had stuck with what they were doing and done it ethically, or at the very least failed gracefully in a way that everyone came out of it looking really good. I think that was all totally possible. I think that in their efforts to build a giant successful company and cash out, that they pivoted to something that was clinically not realistic and not worth anything. And assuming they committed the fraud they did, I would say that they probably did it in an effort to keep getting big and just try to ride it out, and they got stuck. 
And it's just really disappointing because the core product, the 23andMe of poop that never was, it, you know, it wasn't going to shake the foundations of science, but it was a good idea and it deserved better. Ubiome's story is more than just allegations of fraud about one company. It also highlights broader questions. How can investors and consumers evaluate claims that arise from cutting-edge science, especially when researchers don't agree among themselves? Given the rapid pace of innovation, who gets to draw the line between what's achievable now and what's still an aspiration? The direction of business and biotechnology in the years ahead will depend on the answers. I'm Amy Doxer-Marcus. Thanks for listening. That's all for today, Wednesday, November 24th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are Ryan Knutson and me, Kate Leinbaugh. Special thanks to Amy Doxer-Marcus for hosting today's episode and to Anna Wildey-Matthews, Ian Lovett, and Georgi Konchev for their reporting. This episode was produced by Ricky Novetsky with help from Willa Rubin and Kayla Stokes. It was edited by Katherine Brewer, Blythe Terrell, and Annie Rose Strasser with help from Stephanie Ilgenfritz, David Freeman, and Rob Rossi. The show is produced by Annie Baxter, Pia Godkari, Rachel Humphreys, Annie Minoff, Laura Morris, Afif Nasuli, Enrique Perez de la Rosa, and Sarah Platt. Our engineers are Griffin Tanner and Nathan Singapak. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Today's version was remixed by Nathan Singapak. Additional music this week from Katherine Anderson, Bobby Lord, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasulka. We're off for the rest of the week for Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening. See you Monday.